Um, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. And, uh, and I think Ronnie's going to run long because he asked me how long to go and I told him 34 minutes. Uh, so we'll see. I think, I think we're going to have plenty of time. So Mark 10, <clears throat> starting in verse 17. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the man said to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um... I'm from Chicago, and I know that the culture has changed uh, since I've been up there and all that. But I, I just remember um, how tough every how tough everybody was, and I remember um, more than one time my parent or I or a friend would pull into a parking space. You know how you're waiting for a parking space and somebody's got their blinker on and who is it? Is it me? Is it the other person? And who got there first? And there's a little bit of a kind of a weird uh, social contract going on and somebody zips in there. Well, more than one time, I remember somebody on the glass of the window going, did you not see us there with the blinker on? You know, that was not uncommon up in Chicago. Somebody walking up to your glass, bang, 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 bursting uh, into your life. And um, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you is this. Jesus is, hang on a second, our text and the next one is, Jesus is intentionally confrontational. <laughs> now, in this text, it says that Jesus loved this guy. Guy comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees, and Jesus looked at him, loved him, and talks to him. But he is, he is also confronting him. Jesus isn't just going, oh, it's lovely of you to pay me respect like that. He is pinpoint confronting the guy um, in, in, in a precise place in the man's heart. Now, um, one of the things that uh, is easy to overlook is where this passage is set. Um, prior to that, little children uh, are around Jesus, and he says, hey, uh, suffer the children to come to me. Uh, he says, um, um, I, truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That's what has come just before this passage of this, this, uh, this young man with lots of possessions, all right? And what comes afterward is um, Jesus um, uh, talking about his, um, well, you know, he talks about it's being hard to go through the, uh, an eye of a needle. Um, uh, And he's basically saying the same thing the the gospel writer is, which is, um, you can't do it. That's the point. You can't do it. Um, You got to come to Christ like a child. Uh, You got to come to Christ's uh, understanding that, uh, um, uh, you can't fit through the eye of a needle. Um, and the next thing that happens is Jesus foretells his death for the third time. He's done it two other times. And so the whole point here, the, the, the literary context is this. You cannot help yourself. You cannot in your own power save yourself. You're like a little kid. You, you, all you can do is come innocently 
All you can, not innocently, but all you can do is come saying, you know, helplessly, um, I need. And um, it's just like uh, trying to fit through the eye of a needle. It's really hard. You can't do it on your own, but then Jesus is going to do it. Jesus is going to die on a cross. He's going to supply everything that you need. Now, um, let's talk about three quick things. And again, I know I'm buzzing through here, but uh, the first point is good that is good. In other words, good that is legitimately good, good that is actually good. So look at, look at this guy. Uh, verse seven, Jesus sets out on a journey. A man ran, runs up and kneels before him. Now think about that. He has sought out Jesus. He comes running up. That looks a certain way, doesn't it? Looks pretty urgent. He kneels down in front of Jesus. That looks a certain thing, doesn't it? Looks pretty earnest, doesn't it? Runs up, kneels down, asks of Jesus, uh, and, and compliments him even. Uh, he pays him respect. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that in, on itself, in itself looks like a promising scenario, but it's shattered. It's shattered by the question that he asks. In fact, the question that he asks is, is universal. It plagues all of humanity. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What must I accomplish? What must I earn? Um, what, must I, what, what must I do to give to God so that he accepts me? That is the universal problem in an approach to God. The answer is you can't. You got to come like a helpless child. You got to come like someone who can't fit. Uh, you got to come throwing yourself on the mercy of the court. And so Jesus capitalizes on this question when he says, good teacher. Jesus says, okay, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That's a pointed question. And uh, you remember our study of, of the Gospel of John, how many, many, many times I've talked about Jesus' divinity, how many times I've shown you that that's the Gospel writer's big point is the divinity of Jesus. Well, here too. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, good teacher, interesting that you uh, refer to me as good. Notice that Jesus doesn't shoo him away either and say, oh, get up off your feet. Oh, stop that. He doesn't do that. He says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. You see what Jesus is saying? I am divine. That's what he's saying. Why do you call me good? Only God's good. You know, and it's interesting too. Um, can you be good? Yes, you can, can't you? Can you be good? Can you be good, good, good to your wife? Good to your kids? Can you be good on your, at your job? Good at baseball? You can be good, can't you? Why does he say that only God is good? Well, for the same reason that, um, you know, uh, only God is holy. Well, Psalm 89 talks about uh, the presence of the holy ones, uh, uh, the, the, the saints, the angels, the, the host around God are holy, they're sinless. But, but then we would also say that only God is holy. Why would we do that? Only God is good. Well, we can do good too. Why is God? Because he's the source of all goodness. He is, he is goodness personified. He's never not good. See, you've been not good. He's never not good. He's the source of all goodness. All right, and so Jesus' point here is to say that God is perfectly good, source of all goodness. God must judge sin. Um, but in saying that, Jesus is saying that he is also himself God. Now, application for your life. This man is highly interested in this Jesus. He sought him out. He comes huffing and puffing, running up to him. He falls on his knees. That's a public thing. Uh, he humbles himself before Jesus. He addresses him. He calls him good teacher. Uh, quite an interested man. 
But I'm telling you, friends, there's a big difference between being interested in this Savior and possessing salvation. Big difference. Um, remember the Shawshank Redemption? People love the idea of redemption. Remember at the end of the movie when the guy crawled through a sewer to get out? I mean, it's so, it's so poignant and what a movie memory that just sticks to you. And he's in the rain and he's free. And why does that resonate with us? Because we love the idea of redemption. We know that there's a shattered part of us. We would love to be redeemed. We, we love the idea of a God of second chances. Well, this guy comes up. He's very interested in Jesus. But uh, Jesus goes right to the point of personal belief. Why do you call me good? No one except God is good. All right, let's move on to the next point. We'll continue to apply this. I'm skipping a couple things uh, to speed it up. But look it, God is perfect. He demands perfect obedience. Jesus continues in verse 19. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, don't honor your father and mother. Jesus is basically saying, hey, God is perfect, and all you have to do is behave perfectly as well, and everything's fine. And so Jesus sets this guy up, and the guy uh, steps right on into it. Um, he says, uh, he basically thinks, oh, good. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say that, Jesus, because I've kept all those commandments from when I was a child. Now, if you're redeemed, you know that that is utter folly. <laughs> Can you imagine um, I mean, this same Jesus preaches a sermon on the mount, who, and he's saying basically that God looks on the heart, um, not just the outward activity, but the inward intent, the motive. God sees that. This guy is totally missing it. Uh, in fact, by, by the way, calling sin, not calling sin, sin is sin. And, uh, you know, it says in, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, people look on the outside appearance, but God looks on the heart. Well, application for us. Galatians 2.16, it says, a man is not justified by observing the law. Why? Because we can't. We can't observe the law perfectly. We, we, we can't be justified by it. But we're, uh, but we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. The why not is you can't. That's why not. All right, moving along. Almost done. Forgiveness costs nothing, and it costs everything. And so Jesus knows the internal shenanigans of this guy's heart. Uh, the guy's going, oh, good, I'm glad to hear you about the commandments because uh, uh, I don't think I've sent uh, one email <laughs> that you could point to. I don't think I've said one tweet that, that would incriminate me. I've just kept a clean political record, and uh, I, I think anyone would say that I've kept the commandments from when I was a little kid. Well, Jesus goes on. He says um, um, uh, he loves him. He says, you lack one thing. Jesus playing along. okay. Great, great. You just lack one thing. Here's the one thing. Um, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. It's just the one thing you lack. Now, is salvation by grace through faith? Is it free? Absolutely. Salvation is free. Free, free, free. If you walk away, we're in one word all morning today. Hear the word gift. Salvation is a gift, and yet it costs you everything. Jesus says to the guy, you know, it's like a theoretical thing. Sell everything you got. Whoa, the guy walks away sorrowful for he had great possessions. When you come to the cross of Christ, you wave a white flag, and you say, I surrender and I throw myself on the mercy of God, 
Friend, examine your life. What is it that you got that you would hold on to? Because God says, give me everything. When you come to Christ at the foot of the cross, you don't say, Lord, I'm gonna give you 99.99% of me. No, you fall and you say 100%. Look, you've gifted everything to me. You can take it away. Uh, If you do take it away, I'll still have you. Um, And that's how you come to a saving faith uh, in Jesus Christ. All right, I'll close with this. Um, You know the song that uh, I've sung a number of times here over the years, Come Ye Sinners. Um, I love that song. I love those lyrics. It's just such a clear gospel presentation. I love it. I love that it quotes the scriptures, uh, without money, come and buy. You know, it points it to the, the, the hymn writer points it to the Savior. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. How is that possible? It's free. It's a gift. You get it? Um, but there's this. Um, venture on him. Venture holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus can do a helpless sinner good. And it's this idea of venture on him. It's like a James Bond movie where he's playing poker with the evil guy. And uh, James takes all of his chips on the whole thing and goes, slides them in the middle, throws a watch on there in the car keys. He just takes everything and puts it on and he goes, look, I'm just gonna take every last single thing and I'm gonna venture it. I'm gonna bet it. You bet it all. And that's, that's how you come to this gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That's how you come to the cross of Christ. That's how you come to a relationship with God. You come as a child, you come knowing that you can't fit. You come knowing that it's impossible, that, that the law can't be met because you've already broken it. You've been born in sin. You're in a dominion of darkness. But you come to the cross and you say, God, I throw myself on the mercy of the court, all of myself. You can have all of me. And I'm telling you, that's how you receive the Lord of glory. Christ paid the sin debt on the cross. He took the punishment for you. And what makes a person a Christian is not saying some little code It's a transaction that that takes place in the inner workings of your heart where you say, Lord, I surrender and I receive the good news of eternal life. Lord, we thank you for um, this story and uh, where it is in the scriptures and how relevant it is even to a room full of people who are probably mostly um, redeemed believing men and women. Um, It still shows us how how you behave Uh, how good you are, and how sufficient uh, the Savior is unto life. So we pray these things in his name. Pray that you'll bless our class, our lives together as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate it.